Well, welcome, welcome to another Discover Headless Tech interview from headlesscreator.com. I'm Marcelo Lewin, the Headless Creator. As always, you can get a hold of me, Marcelo, at headlesscreator.com. By the way, happy Valentine's Day to those of you that celebrate around the world. I uh, hope you enjoy your day. Uh, today's episode uh, is a continuation of the previous episode, and we were talking about finding the balance between a monolith and composable architecture with my guest, Clay Eustacen, digital marketing and commerce director at Deloitte. So today we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to finish it off, actually. But before we get started, you know how this works. You, gotta, you have to go get your uh, free account at headlesscreator.com. Get your free account. You'll have access to this podcast. Uh, but you also have access to the entire course, actually. And that course gives you pretty much everything we have in there. Upcoming interviews and tutorials, tons of tutorials, lots of podcast episodes, bonus material. You also have access to the entire site, which gives you all the courses. We have lots of them, Content Modeling Weekly. Uh, the Discover Headless Tech, this one, the Retrospective, Beginner's Guide to DXCP, uh, Weekly Tip Courses, lots of headless CMS courses. So if you want to learn how to implement a, a headless CMS, um, both from a author's perspective, a administrator's perspective, or a developer perspective, this these are the ones you want to check out. So anyway, go get your free account. It uh, It's 100% free and you'll learn a lot. Uh, and for those of you watching live, uh, remember that you can put in questions in the chat and I'll ask Clay's those questions. So without further ado, let's bring him in. Clay's, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So where are you located for those that didn't watch part one? So I'm located in, uh, in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Okay, cool. And uh, what's the weather like over there? It's pretty cold here for L.A., Pretty gray, pretty gray. It's like, you know, uh, we, we, we go in Celsius, right? So it's uh, five degrees Celsius and uh, gray weather. So it's like that, you know, almost most part of the winter is like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're running cold there. here. And I'm not sure what cel the, the Celsius is, but we're about 50 uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah. So, which is pretty cold for LA. I mean, for the rest of the country, especially the East Coast, it's nothing, right? That's like summer for them. But for us, yeah, it's yeah. cold. So anyway, glad to have you back. Um, people can learn a lot more details about you on part one because we did a pretty long uh, interview there uh, with you. But just a real quick recap of your background in technology or with Deloitte. So maybe tell us real quick uh, what yeah, you're doing so here today. I have a background as a developer starting out in 2004 and then uh, doing a lot of solution architecture, technical project management, and, and, and then basically delivering a lot of e-commerce solutions in B2C, B2B uh, for, the, for the past, I think that started around 10. Uh, so for the past 12 years and then in uh, 21, I, I, um, I changed to, uh, to Deloitte where I head up the, uh, the Danish part of, of, of uh, the marketing and commerce uh, um, offering, uh, you can say, in, in Deloitte Digital. And that's where you're seeing probably a lot about composable architectures, right? Especially in commerce. Yeah, I think it's it, it, of course uh, here, but also you know everywhere it's happening, right? So it's uh, it's something that is uh, that is a hot topic these days, right? So uh, yeah, a lot of us is discussing it. I've also talked about it with a lot of my old colleagues as well, and and and, and the people in the community. So so yeah, a lot a lot is happening in that space. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing I didn't ask you last time was, what's your hobby? What do you do for fun? We've got to, so, we've got to know that. Yeah, yeah, I play in a band, actually. Oh, no kidding. My what? old high school band is still active a little bit. You know, we don't go out as much, but we play yeah. all of the stuff that nobody wants to hear. That That's only we awesome. think is cool still, right? So, yeah. So <laughs> what on. instrument? I play the bass. Oh, okay. Very cool. So you've always done the bass? Yeah, no, I think it was, you know, when we started out the band, I was, you know, the I, I played the guitar, right? But then then uh, the, the other guitarist, he was better than me, right? So I was like, okay, so I grabbed the bass. Yeah, awesome. I envy guys <laughs> like you. I wish I had musical talent, but I, I can only listen to music. That's about it. I'm just horrible. <laughs> at... It's never too late, right? What's that? It's never too late to get started. You know, I tried with the piano and it's, I don't know, these fingers, they don't want to do the walking. I'm no. not sure. But maybe, maybe I, I have to try harder. That's where it is. All right, let's get started. Um, real quick, let's bring everybody up to speed. Uh, here, we're going to end up with the balance between having a composable architecture and a monolith because most companies have that. But before we jump into that balance, which is how we're going to close up this interview, Give us a quick recap of what do we consider a monolith and what do we consider a, a composable? Yeah, so so you can say from the top, you say composable is, uh, is the ability to basically uh, take different capabilities and then compose them together in one uh, user experience, right? So that you pick and choose the capabilities from the vendors that you want and then you basically... Uh, stitch them together in in a, in a good experience. So so that's the in essence what what composable means, right? Whereas as as monolith on on the other hand is it's where where we come from uh, originally in in the business, right? That is it's one, one typically one data model and and one code base, and then it serves different uh, areas uh, business areas with with that one data model and that code base. But then of course it's it's intertwined in it way in the way it works. So you. You cannot pick and choose. There's, there's one one offering you can say with um, with what's in the box. Right. Um, so give an example of a monolith system and a composable system, so people yeah. have an understanding, you know, where they fall. Yeah. So so you can say that you, a composable system could be something like uh, a commerce tools, content stack, contentful. Whereas you know, commerce tools serve just commerce, contentful serves just CMS and and content, right? And, and then you can basically stitch it together the way you want. And it's API enabled with the Mac, uh, Mac approach, right? And um, that, that would be examples of, 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 of composable, right? Um, whereas on, on the model, this side, you could have uh, traditional, um, uh, st- uh, you can say platforms like uh, Salesforce, I would consider monolith, of, of course. And, uh, and the same goes with the SAP for that matter, or, or if you look at uh, Adobe as well, of course they are uh, headlessly enabling themselves. So they are adding the ability to basically be API first, and and they are getting into that. But they are still like uh, based on on you know largely the same data model and and you can say the same the same code base. Could could we say that a monolith also tries to be a suite? As opposed to very focused, like you mentioned, contentful, focused on content management, right? Um, exactly. Whereas a monolith is, like you said, AEM or Salesforce. It's a suite of, of tools. Even though it they're is. trying to go headless, it's still a suite of tools. Exactly. It's still a suite of tools. And I think that some of them have you know, been um, starting from building out basically uh, just one capability area, right? But then they mm-hmm. have expanded over the years. And sometimes that expansion has been, you know, growing the monolith itself, 
but sometimes also by acquisition, right? And then when acquiring different companies, trying to integrate them more into, into the monolith and the way it works, right? So, so, and that constitutes sort of like a suite of, 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 uh, of capabilities, if you will, right? But they haven't started out with the, you know, the mega approach. You could have a one company essentially, right? Owning a, diff, a different uh, a, a variety of, of Mac oriented product, right? Which mm-hmm. you com- could compose the way you want, but that's not how they came about, which is why they are not architected that way, right? Right, right. Um, okay, so let's jump into finding the balance because in most companies, you're going to have a mixture of a monolith and probably bringing in a headless CMS or a headless commerce tool or a dam or whatever it may be. So to me, one of the most important things is uh, data modeling, content modeling, because that's sort of the basis of everything, right? Um, how is that balance? Uh, how do you strike that balance in when, when you may have an AEM and a contentful and, you know, uh, a cloudinary all in one organization. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not an, it's not an easy task, right? But I think what I try to, what I think Composable has a hard time doing is, uh, serving the, the back office business users in the right way. And I think that's still something we need to tackle. Uh, and I think, um, and, and that, that is where, you know, in essence, the, the monoliths, uh, uh, work, works really well, right? Because you can operate within the same, uh, you say, view. Uh, you you have the full data set across different across the full data model readily available and can use that. And you have a what you see, what you ca- can get, kind of you know interaction with with uh, with what what you're doing. So I think that's 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 the the strength of the monolith uh, uh, at a large extent, right? And and easy to configure and easy to 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 make work. And then whereas on the on the on the other hand, uh, composable uh, has a little bit of a drawback in that area. But uh, but as we also discussed last time, really quickly, you're really quickly enabled to deploy you know new capabilities, new features very fast, and you can change you know. Uh, uh, the user experience over time without changing everything that is underneath the hood, which is a super strength. So, so how could you combine these two things? Right. And I think it's a little bit about uh, thinking about, you know, uh, 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 pace layering a little bit and, and looking into, so, so in which area do you want to move the quickest, right? And that's usually the, the, the area where you want to adapt uh, fastest is usually, you know, as close to the consumer or customer, right? So in those in those interface and in those touch points, that's usually what changes gradually over time, right? So you're constantly trying to keep up with uh, you know consumer and, co- and customer demand. So you need to be able to change that very flexible over time. So that is where composable really fits, and that would be of course your e-commerce website on your and your 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 uh, your your your, uh, your content and, and and these kind of things like your CMS. Whereas if you flip uh, more to the uh, to uh, to sort of things like uh, a CRM, uh, like a customer service and these kind of things, which is of course has customer touch point, but not directly, right? Whereas it's much more the business users that that uses these uh, these capabilities. So so in that space, and you also you they sit a little bit lower in in the pace. Uh, mindset, right? So in the layering, so so the ability to move fast in in sales is not something that is uh, that is so important because 
it's not like every day you change your CRM system and the way that your account management team right. works. And the same goes for customer service, right? So, so I think the balance uh, and the sweet spot sits somewhere in between that, that you, you look into is this, how fast do you want to basically be able to change this part of your architecture? And, the, and if, if the answer is that you, we need to be able to change this many, many times a year, then you need to be able to, then I think you need to look more into the composable way of doing, doing things. Whereas, yeah, but, you know, every, every half year or every quarter, we do some small changes. And, but basically, we are in a, in a more of a steady state because this is how we do business, right, uh, internally then, okay, maybe it's not a problem, right? Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe you don't need to remove right. everything and create a composable solution there. So I think it's also about trying to balance these two areas uh, against each other and figuring out how fast is it really that you, you want to move in, in this space and, and, and so on. And then change that system to a composable system. Now, from a content modeling, I want to continue a little bit on that because to me what's really important is single source of truth which allows you to um to maintain your content right uh, much easier and change make changes quicker so in a in a in a enterprise that you have to balance it between you know a headless cms and salesforce how do you and you may have content um, that's important on both. How do you maintain that single source of truth in, in that kind of balance system? I mean, it yeah, seems like yeah. it would be a bit hard. Yeah, so I think I think there, it depends on which kind of content, right? So I think there's, you know, there, there's product information that, 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 that usually sits in your PIM system, right? And, mm -hmm. and that should be your single source of truth on, on, on product, right? Um, that is usually hooked onto our a CDN of some sort where you deliver your images and your videos from, and maybe you also feed that product information into your CRM system. So, so something in those lines are probably handled a little bit on the backend integrations, which, which making sure that, that it's fed into the right channels and, and can be used. I think then there is the, the bit about if you look into something like um, uh, uh, something like customer information, right? That usually sits the source of truth and the master record for that would usually be in your CRM system slash customer service system, right? That this is where your customer sits, right? And then it's, it's of course, the balance between how much do you integrate on the back end right. and how much do you stitch together in your composable uh, architecture? Because I think my personal take on it is that I think we will see that these monoliths like Adobe or Salesforce and so on, they will start publishing APIs and they will start being more maybe not composable, but much more headless in the way that they operate, which is a good thing. And I think, so I think that the, uh, that if you, you're, you're, if you have a suite already, right, if you have a CMS system that is not, you know, uh, natively uh, composable, then if you have the ability to surface some of that information from that system, then you could stitch it together, right? If you want to augment product, you have some product information, you could basically uh, connect that in the front end, or you could connect it through a, a backend integration. That's a little bit. It depends on what kind of landscape you sit yeah. with. Yeah, I, I think it's important also for an enterprise to to actually look at their content and make sure that you're not duplicating, like you said, con uh, customer information in their CMS and customer information in the CRM and content information in the CRM. 
yeah. and the CMS, right? So yeah. maybe striking the balance is also analyzing the way they're doing business with content today yeah. and and starting to do some cleanup because that's where you're going to get the best, I think. Yeah, and, and I think if you look at something like, uh, uh, you can say segmentation or personalization that is based on the use of stuff like that. So there's different ways of going about that, right? Maybe you want to make a little bit more segment rule-based personalization on the content you create in your CMS system. So, so maybe you feed in, not mastering, but feeding like a copy of, of your user segments from your CRM system. And then you tag on the product information to that and publish that. Uh, or you remove your that layer, uh, like some of the DXCs are doing and, and take that layer and push it in to sort of the composable part of the stack. And then you stitch it together there, right? So that the content is connected to the user in, in, in sort of the composable part of the layer right. instead, right? And that depends. And that's, of course, you know, I think that's the direction it would take. But I think there's a, there's like, a, there could be a roadmap to getting there, right? That you could introduce composability in some areas and then working your way towards being more flexible uh, at the end, right? Um, introducing this uh, composability to bring that balance also introduces sort of a paradigm shift in thinking in the enterprise of how things are implemented, how content is managed. What are your thoughts on on that? How do you start um, bringing that balance to the enterprise uh, and that change in thinking? I think um, I think the 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 way to bring it is. Uh, to maybe a little bit by 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 example and look at at what uh, how how well has it gone you know in your monolithic projects right so if you look back guys and you did the last project and the last project how many years did it take to roll that out and so mm. on and so forth so maybe and and i guess a lot large portion of that experience will be it took a long time it wasn't easy so maybe in the in the um, in the space where uh, you're not that maybe you have the the worst experiences and maybe you also have the ability to experiment a little bit because it's not that core business maybe it's if you have a, a small user segment that wants to engage with you on an e-commerce channel in one market or something like that mm -hmm. maybe you pick that out and say hey guys let's do a proof of concept with, with where, where we deliver it on, on you know, uh, in a composable fashion and see how fast we can deliver that and then, you know, learn and test with the users we have there and then gain that experience that, and, and then, you know, so it's it's lower risk for the enterprise to, to engage in is just these customers and just these, this market with just these products maybe. And then you start testing it out and then, then you use that as a, as you can say, a reference for bringing it into more, uh, business critical uh, places in the in the enterprise, or maybe expanding it to different user segments or different markets. At least that's 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 how I've seen some of these things work uh, in terms of of proof of concepting and in a in a in a low risk kind of environment. Yeah, I like that strategy where basically you're looking at your pain points of your monolith and seeing okay, how can the composable architecture help there. And then start creating prototypes and start uh, rolling that out. I, I think that's a that's a great way of doing it. Instead of thinking, oh, we're migrating everything and it's going to take a year, and then it either doesn't get done or it fails because of whatever reason. I've been on pr plenty of projects where 
a million dollars was spent and nothing got delivered, you know, because it just. Exactly. And then I think another, you know, point to, to make is that we are at least seeing a lot of enterprises also understanding, you know, the importance of user centricity also in the B2B space that you actually need to be user centering and you actually need to understanding that, that importance of the customer centricity, right. And, and working with that, um, and what what usually uh, then is the next step in that uh, in that direction is to say okay so so we start with the user experience basically so and starting with the user experience is basically the opposite than opening the lid of a monolith and saying what what does it have in the box so you start with the experience and then you figure out what capabilities you need to basically make that experience run the right way and that is usually different um, uh, different capabilities from different vendors that you end up with figuring out is, is the right way forward, right? And that mm-hmm. if you apply, you know, proof of concept from one end and then that way of thinking, which is also shifting, I think, in the industry, then then you end up having, you know, then, then you know, <laughs> the uh, it will equal composability, right? That, that will be the answer of, of how to drive that forward, right? Yep. So let's talk a little bit about the user experience from the authoring point of view, right? Because that is extremely important because these these are the people that work with content day in, day out. And in an enterprise where you have to strike the balance between a monolith, which, you know, without argument, they have the best WYSIWYG experience, as you said, for authors, right? Uh, much easier. The negatives, of course, is that they're mixing design with their content in in this monolith. And then when they try to publish that to a non-web channel, we run into into issues. But and on the on the headless CMS side, you've got the ability to not mix all the sub, deliver to all the channels. But the uh, authoring experience is a bit more complex. Sometimes it takes two or three more clicks than it does in a monolith, which People say, oh, two or three more clicks is not a big deal, but you multiply that times 1,000 to 2,000 times a day they're entering content or managing content, it's a huge deal. How how do you present a good authoring experience taking into consideration how authors work, meaning like maybe starting with Google Docs, not even with a, with any CMS, right? Yeah. How do you take that into, I mean, what do you do there? Because you you have a balance, right? And and you have all these systems. You have the yeah. CRM system. You have the the, the dam system. How do yeah. you do that for an author? And so then I, I have think... my my opinion too, because <laughs> you know, full disclosure, I work for Uniform. But yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll get to that laughter. But I think that that is some that could be part of the answer. Is 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 you know, companies uh, DXCs like Uniform and. And, and fantastic and some of the other vendors in the space right that they are basically trying to create what what we had in the old days like in a cms right so uh basically a cms for headless if you will uh, <laughs> so basically having the ability to to orchestrate what components you want where and and placing them a little bit more vis-a-vis. so i think that's um that's uh, that's one that's one element i think another element is to so basically what you want to do as an author is you want to see what it looks like, right? You want to basically being really fast to see, okay, so I've, I've created this content. What would it look like to the end customer? What would it look like on mobile? What would it look on, on desktop and so on? So I think it's also about you could uh, uh, 
be diligent about creating some good authoring Q&A environments, right? Similar to your production environment, but where you can play around with it really fast. That's also a way to do it, right? So you you test it out there and you know no one's going to see it. Uh, and because you, it's it's instantly deployable because you, you create it, then you can see it. Then there's also, you know, you could test stuff out in those environments. So it's also a little bit about how you set up your different tests and, and QA environments internally, right? You could also work with that uh, in, maybe in the lack of a DXC, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. D- using a DXCP like Uniform, full disclosure, again, I work for Uniform. But I mean, we are one of the few, if not the only, with all the capabilities of orchestration and separating um, design content from domain content, which to me is extremely important to do if you really want to have clean content out there. Um, but I think part of the, I don't know, I like your take on this. Uh, to me, part of the striking the balance is uh, re-educating authors too. You mentioned they want to see what it looks like. But why do they want to see what it looks like? Why does it even matter to them what it looks like? To them, it should be content. And is the content correct? Is it up to date? Uh, is it valuable? And then let the channels decide what it looks like because it's going yeah. to look one way today. And in six months when we redesign everything, it's going to look a different way. So does it really matter? So how do you do that with authors? Yeah, I think it's about also... Um... I think there's a, a kind of a trust, right? You need to trust the system also. Exactly. So, so you need to trust that it works. And I think that if you uh, build that trust early on and so they understand that, okay, I can publish this. And then the first couple of times I will check what it looks like, but, but you know, the, the, the third and the fourth and, and the X number of time, I don't need to because I know it'll work. So I think that's also, you know, um, a, a part of the answer that you build up that trust that 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 it actually looks good if you just do this this and that and then i think the the element of 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 you wanting it to be what you see is what you get will will gradually decline right that you just change your text and publish and then off you go so i think that that that's uh, that's one element of it and and then i think um and then i think it's about um it's about them getting used to it like everything else right that 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 uh, that uh, the world the world changes and it yeah. also does in, in the CMS landscape and and you just need to see that that it maybe it's not that bad and maybe you get some added bonus benefits right so if typically the, the people involved in, in publishing the content is also the people that are responsible of making sure that we deliver the right both content but also features to to the customers and they typically sit in the same team and so on so I think that they will be happy about the fact how fast we now can publish new features and make them available for the customers. So that maybe outweighs the fact that, that you know, that it's not with because I think uh, in the old days where you changed like what you see is what you get on the screen, not almost directly on the website. I think that it's a little less important if you just can have a good, strong preview functionality that works really well. So you just click preview and you can see oh, it works well. And then you preview, see it works well. I think that that makes up for a lot of it. Uh, and and that, that what you see is what you get experience, almost changing the HTML directly is a little bit flash. And maybe it's not the most productive way of doing it. At least I've seen back in the old days, you know, yeah. the experienced content authors, they, they didn't use that what you see is what you get feature because they knew it would work. They just right. used preview if they were doubt, you know, 10% of the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that um, as develop developers don't end up worrying what things are going to look like because they're worried on the code and setting up the code. The UX people, the designers are the ones that worry, what is this going to look like? And, and work with developers to set up templates. I would make the argument, the same thing for content authors is don't worry about what it looks like. Make sure we have the best content, the best up-to-date content, the most, uh, the, the most value through this content and use the templates provided to you. But now that's the key, right? It's setting up all these templates yep. and also setting up the flexibility to be able to change things around within a box still. Um, I, I, I personally don't believe in the free form for all, you know, the old days where you can just nope. move it two pixels. Cause what does that mean? It means nothing to, you know, an IOT device or a newsletter or an SMS message where you're going to be reusing this content. Would I agree. Do you agree or I agree. I think that the best, the most successful CMS projects also on monolith, yeah. that, which is basically, it's the same problem, right? But I've been involved with has been where we have been really structured about which fields, which templates you have. Yeah. And the more you can make those fields a non-rich text editor, the better. So the more structured that data is, right. the easier it is, both for the, for the authors not to make mistakes, basically, and to trust the, the, um, the, that it will be published in the right way. Uh, so so I, think, I think that that is where I've seen uh, the best outcome is where you basically work with those. It's better to then create a new template, right? Uh, instead of just saying, yeah, you just get exactly. a risk feel. Yeah. Then you can just go nuts because that'll just end up, you know, then it breaks on this device or whatever, right? Because you've introduced a break tag or, or, or the wrong right. diff or something like that, right? Right. And and I can't blame authors because I know for many years they've used WordPress and all these others where you've mixed up design and everything. But I always tell, and it, and it's an uphill battle, and and I and I get it. I mean, I'm not you know putting down authors at all for wanting to control that, but at the end of the day, they need to focus on on the value the content provides and the intent of the content and the content itself. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it should be decided by the delivery channels. But I I think I I've done enough of this. <laughs> um, no, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 So uh, I hope I don't get any hate letters, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love my content authors. I just, uh, we all need a little bit of uh, thinking, uh, cha cha change of our thinking, right? Yeah. Um, so you are not advocating for get rid of your monolith, just go fully composable. No, um, I think it, it needs to be assessed, right? I think you need to look at what you have and maybe your existing monolith is already publishing new APIs that worked in a hazardous way. I think go user experience first, go customer first, right? What customer centricity and what is the customer's experience and what is it that you want to bring to the customer? And then figure out if, okay, maybe I have a, a really bad system over here to serve the, the content. So maybe I need a new CMS. Okay, of course, then consider... Uh, uh, you know, a composable CMS, I would do that. But maybe I actually have, a, you know, one of the leaders in the space and maybe they've already published a lot of, uh, of, of APIs that could be leveraged to move in a composable direction, right? So that you start with the, but, but don't let yourself get, you know, pushed into, okay, we will go monolith first. So looking at the abilities that that has and then building the custom experience from that. You know, build a customer experience from, from the customer and down and then see if if you have the, some of the capabilities already on your existing setup, then okay, then start with that, right? But you but you take control of the customer experience. 
and you take control and you basically build your front end, your React app or, or whatever, however you build it, you build that like you would a composable uh, uh, website, right? Or, or e-commerce store, whatever you're building. And then look at what capabilities you need. And maybe some of those come from a, from a monolith and maybe some of them come from a, from a, one of the composable uh, platforms that, that, that you need to buy to, to make sure you can accommodate for the full customer experience end to end. So, and that's in, a, in an enterprise that has a mixture of systems. The best way, as you mentioned, is look at the places where things change the most and try to make those composable and then stri- start striking the balance. If a company wants to start out fresh, is your take on that what? Composable, monolith, a mixture of both? It's a it's it's a good question. I've, nobody nobody starts out first, but I think uh, right. I think it's a really good. I think it's a really good question. I think I would start to explore, uh, you know, uh, composable. But I think I think it really much depends on what you're trying to achieve, right? Because you know, if you're a startup uh, and you need a web shop, right? You know, I would use Shopify. I would just you know, I how many people are with two guys? Okay. Start with Shopify mm. and start publishing your products and getting some revenue in, right? And right. then when 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 you start to when you start to get challenged on the customer experience because you cannot do this and you cannot do that and you cannot do this, then start exploring. Okay, what would it take to for us to do to create that experience? And I think that answer will be you know in a composable direction probably. Uh, but I think it really much depends on, you know, what's the size of the company and how do you start off? Uh, but, but, you know, picking the right tool for the battle, I think, is the, is the right way to go. And, and it's not like it's, 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 it is necessarily cheap, you know, for a startup to, to do a composable uh, solution, right? So I think it depends a little bit on where you are. But if you're a, a medium-sized or a larger-sized company that has the opportunity to start from fresh, I would definitely consider, you know, looking into composables, especially in the consumer slash customer facing channels. I would, I would start there and see if, if, if that would work. And then like looking into the more you go down, downstream in terms of, you know, CRM, ERP and so on, then of course you will hit, you will hit the monolith at some point in time. But then of course, then you look into having the right integration abstraction layers put in place between it, right? To make sure that you sort of, are flexible and then whenever they yeah. change the ERP, it's 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 basically not something that hits you because it's abstracted away on on microservice level, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you are recommending sort of a balance because um, and it makes sense um, with certain monoliths, right? You can get started immediately just because they have templates and stuff. But as you grow, you're going to run into that wall of like, well, we need to do this and we can't, or we're not scaling, right? Now, certain monoliths, we're not naming names, but are expensive. So it's not really a cost savings, right? If you're going to go, let's say with a WordPress, we can get for free and install it somewhere. Okay, great. Or yeah. a Shopify entry level, whatever. But yeah. as, as if you go into a big monolith, it's going to cost you a lot of money at that point, you might want to even consider composable systems and paying for the, for the team versus paying for the software. Yeah. And I think exactly, but it, I think it, it depends on also, you know, um, are you a, are, if you're a global corporation and the the level of you know support from you know workflows and stuff like that in the back office or let's say your CMS system 
how advanced does that need to be sharing of global versus local data and so on in your content right. stream. That is, of course, also a requirement you need to take into consideration, making sure that even though if you choose, uh, if you choose a, um, a composable CMS, that it has those abilities, because that's where I sometimes see, you know, there's a, it's more focused on content authoring, not so much on, you know, running a global uh, content team of, let's say, 80 people or something like that across right. the globe. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also something to, to at least make sure that you assess so you, you, you fully um, understand what the requirements are. But, but yes, I think that, that there's a, definitely an, uh, an opportunity, especially if you are like in, 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 um, in I would say, um, mid-market, that, that, that where you have enough um, customer, uh, you can say, pressure to basically mm-hmm. create a better and better customer experience, but you are not uh, so uh, intertwined and, and you know, in, in a global corporation where it can be much, much harder to, to create, a, you know, a revolution like that. So I think that, that, that I, think, I think we will see a lot of composability come out of that mid-market segment because they sort of have the, the funds to do it, but they also have the flexibility to move uh, uh, easier and decision-making is not that hard and, 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 and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're pretty much at the end here, but, but you mentioned uh, being global, right? To me, that's uh, localization is extremely important. And I think that to me, that's a huge strength of composable systems is the ability to localize. Um, because when people think localization, they think translation, but localization is more than translation. It, it also involves all your media assets, videos, yeah. images, and not just the text in the images, but the images, the way you represent one image in one culture may be offensive to a different culture. So you have to use a different kind of image, right? Yeah. Um, so to close up this conversation, how do you strike the balance there where in typical, a monolith may not be the best at supporting that kind of localization that's needed where, or do you disagree with that? I'd love to hear your take on that. I think you can make a, I think you can make a model to support that. I don't see why not. Uh, I think um, I think that there is a. I, I'm not sure. I I think that there is a big distinction in that sense. Mm-hmm. I think I think Composable can do it as well, uh, really well. Um, I think, but I also have seen you know implementation on on you know models. I think it has to do with your operating model. So how are you set up organizationally? Also, right. So if you have a center of excellence globally somewhere that basically runs all the development and all that kind of thing, and then you only have like satellites around the globe that just need to feed off the way that you're doing business on global level, then it makes you know a lot of sense to have a really strong supporting organization and also system and way of workflows and stuff like that, that you only need to change your stuff in, in specifically your part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have a little bit more autonomy the more autonomy you have local, I think composability would make more and more sense because then you could basically have the same, you know, perceived customer experience. It's the same website, right? But you hit right. it in a different, uh, uh, in a different region or in a different country. And, and the, the, what is, is driven behind it is basically up to the individual uh, right. local department to control a little bit. Right. So I think right. that then, then it makes more sense. So I think, I think it really 
depends on how you're set up also organizationally if you're a large com- co- company. Excellent. Yep, definitely. Clays, it's been a pleasure. I love this conversation. Um, thank you for sharing your knowledge with the community. I really appreciate that. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, is the email address the best way or anything else you'd like to share? Definitely. I try to reply to all my emails, even though sometimes it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, Clays, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope you enjoyed um, this episode of the Discover Headless Tech podcast. Uh, and stay tuned for many more coming up soon. Um, so I will see you on the next episode. Cheers, everybody.